Okay, here to go through some of those stories in a little bit more detail. We're joined uh, by Mark Hennessy, news editor of the Irish Times, journalist Brendan Keenan, and uh, Sheila Riley, editor of the Longford Leader. Uh, you're all very welcome. Um, Mark, just to start with you first, um, I know politics was your, your sort of first uh, bailiwick in, in uh, journalism. Mm-hmm. It does look like a Fine Gael led minority government. I was calling it a kaleidoscope coalition earlier on with Greens, various in groups of independence and not groupings of independence. Uh, that looks like the most likely option at this stage, or maybe the least unlikely option. Well, I mean, it's certainly. Uh, what Fine Gael would like you to believe. I think what's going on at the moment is is a degree of dancing on the part where uh, the two main parties are attempting to get across to everybody else that the set outcome as they want it is the most, is inevitable and that basically you have to go along with it. I.e. Fine Gael saying a minority Fine Gael government is the only option in town. We won't do business with Fianna Fáil, etc. So get on the bus. And you're seeing Fianna Fáil uh, doing that uh, in in a less public way, which is kind of curious. It's interesting how Michal Martin has been has successfully disappeared off radar for. Is that is that a smart <coughs> move? Do you think in his part? I don't know whether it's smart or not, but I have to assume that it's deliberate. Yeah, and uh, he has uh, created room. And it is interesting listening to Michael Fitzmaurice yesterday, who was clearly sounding like a man who wants to do a deal. And clearly there are other people on the Independent Alliance who are of the same mind. And Fine Gael would appear at first glance to have successfully put a bit of uh, blue water between some of them and Shane Ross. And uh, Shane, I think, is if he hasn't learned by now, uh, will learn soon enough that Enda Kenny may have many talents in life, but he has a very considerable ability to hate when it comes to it. And not forget. And he doesn't forget. And uh, that is going to be a problem. And to a large extent, the Independent Alliance was, in Shane's eyes, a vehicle to put him into cabinet. And that was its principal purpose in life and would always have unravelled. Shane they're calling it in in one of the papers today. Yeah, absolutely. It was always going to unravel after, once everybody else in the camp realised that that was the principal purpose in life. Uh, Now, the irony of it is, if a deal with Fine Gael wants to be done, um, that it could be other members uh, of that alliance who would actually be the ones with the, uh, the, the stars on the car. Uh, and that person could be Michael Fitzmaurice if some of the, the stories around this morning are accurate. Uh, Sheila Ray, this issue of rural affairs seems to be, mm. a bit, we're going to be talking to Michael Healy Ray uh, in a moment, it seems to be a big emphasis, or Enda Kenny certainly pushing it, and Fianna Fáil yeah, both pushing this. Is it, I mean, are, is it a big issue in, in rural Ireland? Is, is there a feeling that well, they've been neglected? Yeah, and if you, well, there is. If you look particularly, say, at uh, some of the coverage there in relation to the, I think in the Mail in particular, uh, John Lee covers that meeting, the Fine Gael meeting, what they're calling the cauldron and the maldron yesterday, <laughs> um, uh, where they kind of all aired their grievances. And part of the, the reason that they outlined that the campaign had failed so spectacularly was that they had not listened to the rural base and they hadn't listened to older voters as well, you know, and there is that element of them being out of touch. Uh, and certainly, and I mean, you've gone over it yourself ad nauseum in, after the campaign. They, you know, the Fianna Fáil, the, or sorry, the Fine Gael, you know, keep the recovery going mantra was completely lost once you went outside of Dublin. I mean, that was, or outside particularly of the main rural, urban areas, that was a particular problem. So in that regard, there's that sense that um, the election wasn't won that catered, if you like, for rural Ireland. And if you look at now um, the type of things that all the papers are talking about today, we can soon feel the warm embrace of uh, thousands more Gardaí and, you know, the Garda stations are going to be open. And I believe that... Uh, 
Kevin Boxamore is going to get uh, the flood defences of Athlone built so high they won't even know they're on the Shannon anymore <laughs> if, uh, if if local rumour is correct. You know, so there's all of these promises being made in, in, in that regard, but it is certainly to uh, looking to the rural base as if to say we haven't forgotten you and maybe a Minister for Rural Affairs will do that. But remember, the last government did have a Minister for Rural Affairs as well. Yeah, true. Um, Brendan Keane, I, I think from my time in work, I think I'm right in saying you, you, you like the odd flutter every now and then. Who would you put your money on now? Where would you be putting your money in terms of the next government formation? Yeah, well, I, I would put my money on the on the kaleidoscope. Um, I mean, just reading the papers. First of all, uh, on Sunday, John Lee says uh, Enda Kenny will be ready to announce the government by the weekend, which is a bit startling, but he's a good... There, there is, a good some, yeah, there is some talk in Finnegale yeah. that maybe by April 6th they yeah. might be in a position to push this close to the line, whether yeah. they'll get over it. Yeah, exactly. And there's also in the in the Sunday Independent, there's a story that... Uh, Michal Martin conveyed on March the 4th that the Grand Coalition simply wasn't on. Mm. Well, you know, if the Grand Coalition isn't on, then it's, you know, the betting is on a Fine Gael-led uh, minority. But, you know, that takes us in to the second uh, more complex business that uh, it will be a very minority-minority government mm. dependent on Fianna Fáil. Yeah. What's Fianna Fáil's strategy going to be? Will they give them a guaranteed time or will they hassle them from day one? Even if they say, oh, we're only on a budget, we only bring it up. That's the constitution. The government doesn't have to resign unless it's the budget or a confidence vote. But a government can't survive if it keeps losing vote after vote True. after vote in the House. Okay. So what will happen? Yeah, we might we might delve into that a little bit deeper. What what may happen or the various scenarios in independent uh, if there is a minority government put together. Uh, just stick your headphones uh, on there, though, for a moment, guys, because we're, we're joined now uh, by independent uh, TD Michael Healy. Ray. Um, uh, Michael, uh, you heard what Brendan was saying there. The emerging scenario seems to be a coalition with a range of independent TDs, the Greens, uh, probably with, with, with Fine Gael. Where do you stand in that picture? Right. Well, the scenario that you were painting there now, at right now, looks like the most obvious. Right away after the election, I would have thought that the most obvious uh, government was that Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael would go into a room, try and find common ground and try and put together a government. That's what I thought was going to happen. Unfortunately, that didn't happen. And when I say unfortunately, maybe that wasn't to be, and maybe the, the scenario that, that you're now painting might be the way to go ahead. People did vote for a change, I suppose. So maybe that, that, that might actually be a good government if it could be put together. But there's a lot of ifs and buts and all of that. But when you're talking about putting together a government, it's down to policies. Where are the common? Where is the common ground? Fine Gael and Labour lost the election, in my opinion, because of one thing: they lost sight of what they should have been doing. They definitely left rural Ireland behind them. They were very anti-rural Ireland. I continuously said they were the most anti-rural government since the foundation of the state, and I meant that. But now I believe that they're after waking up. They realise the errors that they made. Now, they are talking about putting together a comprehensive package for rural Ireland. My job is to listen to what everybody has to say. I've heard people like Simon Coveney coming out and saying very positive things about what the, the programme that they're putting together. I want to see what that programme is. I want to see what it contains. I want to see, will it deliver to rural Ireland? Will it create parity 
and do away with the urban-rural divide and do away with this thing for once and for all where many people in Dublin and politicians in particular thought that the world stopped at the Red Coat roundabout. There is a world outside the Red Coat roundabout and I want that world to be recognised. And uh, and anything that I could do perhaps in, in moving that on, I, 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 I did call for uh, right away after the election that whoever was to form the government, whether it was to be Fianna Fáil or Fine Gael-led or jointly or whoever it would be, the one thing that I was insisting, that there should be a minister with sole responsibility for rural affairs. Not rural development, a completely different thing. Rural affairs. And that minister would be charged with an, an awful lot of responsibility of righting a lot of the wrongs that have been made, not just over the last five years, but maybe over the last okay. ten years in particular. Would you like that to be you? I thought that the position would be put at Cabinet. I never said anything about who should fill okay. the, the position, and I wouldn't dare do such a thing. All I'm saying is I really and passionately believe in keeping life in rural Ireland, and I really and passionately believe that there should be a minister in charge of that to make sure that there would be a voice at the Cabinet table for the people in rural Ireland. Okay. And for you, you wouldn't be disinterested. You wouldn't be disinterested in the position, though, or uninterested. Well, look, the answer to that is obviously a politician has to deal with every situation that is thrown at them at every different stage of every different day. And all I'm saying is I'm not one bit afraid of working. I know the issues that are out there, whether it's our rural post offices, whether it's GPs, whether it's rural broadband. There are many things that could actually be done to help rural Ireland. They would actually not cost the state an awful lot of money. Okay. It would just mean a change of mindset at where it matters, and that is at Cabinet. Two last quick questions before we let you go, Michael. Uh, April 6th, I think, is the, is the key date uh, in terms of the next vote for Taoiseach. Do you envisage you will be voting for either Micheál Martin or Enda Kenny for Taoiseach on that date? The, the straight answer is that, Shane. An awful lot of water is going to go under every bridge in Ireland <laughs> between here and that date. And an awful lot of changes could occur between here and then. And uh, I won't be saying this this morning or tomorrow morning or the morning after it what, what, what I or my brother Denny would be thinking about doing. What we'll be doing at all times is what's what right for the people that elected us, first of all, and in other words, like we always say, to be a national politician, you have to be elected locally first. We won't forget where we're coming from and we won't forget where we're going to. Okay. Last question. Uh, then you mentioned your brother, Danny. I, I, I'm sure you're aware of a story in the Sunday Times today uh, about him declaring a contract with Irish Water in, in a recently filed declaration, despite obviously having been a, a vocal critic of the company. A, any comment in relation to that? Well, to be dead honest with you, I, I left Kerry very early this morning and I haven't seen the story that you're talking about. But just the way you were asked to describe it to me, all I can tell you about my position with regard to Irish water, I was totally opposed to the creation of Irish water in the way they did. The putting in of the water meters was absolutely ridiculous considering nobody's reading the meters. What I would have always liked to have seen happen with Irish water was that the 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 repairing of our water pipes, the upgrading of our water and, and all of that should have been left with our local authorities. And uh, I really considered it a layer of bureaucracy to create what I said at the time was a monster. And that's what I said. And I'm, I'm on the record of saying that. And I attended water protests and I stood shoulder to shoulder with people who were against the creation of Irish water because I just thought it was wrong. Okay. And, and Shane, you were a sensible man. 
any people that would think about charging a person money and then getting them to fill up forums to claim it back again. A child wouldn't do it, for God's sake. They made a mess of it. And like, all they were shocked about somebody coming along and admitting and saying, yes, we did okay. make a mess no, of that. No, that's fair enough. And, and, and you have been straight on that. I suppose the story is that you and, and Danny have been critical of it, but it, it hasn't stopped uh, Danny doing business, basically declaring a contract with Irish Water in, in that in that declaration of interest. Well, to answer that in the best way I could, uh, going back maybe 50 years, my father and my late uncle would have been uh, repairing um, water pipes for Kerry County Council. So, I mean, the work that, uh, that my father or my late uncle are now my brother or my nephew would have been do- doing with regard to water pipes, that's going back not five years or 10 years or 15 years, but at least 50 years. Okay, uh, we'll leave it there. Uh, Michael Healy Ray, Independent TD for Kerry. Thanks uh, indeed for joining us. Um, Brendan Keenan, just before we come back to the numbers, what do you make of the explanation that that story the, the Sunday Times has about? Uh, clearly, there's a business interest there. I suppose what what uh, Michael Healy Ray is saying is, look, we, we've we've been laying pipes for Kerry County Council. We're we're now laying them for for Irish Water. It's not up to us who we do, do the business with. Yeah, but even if they hadn't been doing that, like you know, it's a it's a, it's a good story. It's new information. It's interesting. Mm. But the idea that if you're against Irish Water, you shouldn't do a contract for them is pitting nonsense. You know, there's no scandal there. Uh, nothing to see. Move on, officer. Okay, let's well, <laughs> let's do that. Um, Mark, you're you're nodding your head in agreement. Uh, I, I was just going through the sort of t- totting up the numbers there as as uh, as Michael was talking, and I'm I'm just looking. Say for, if you if you take Enda Kenny is in the driving seat, fifty for Finnegale, and let's say he gets twelve to thirteen independents on on board between the various groupings, and then you have the likes of maybe Maureen O'Sullivan or Catherine Zappone or others. Again, they haven't said how how they're going to go, and and the two Greens that maybe gets them to sixty five seats. Yeah which is still quite a bit short. And as Bren was saying, it's a real minority, minority going Well, it is, yeah. It? But I mean, that just highlights that, you know, some of the stuff you've seen in the Sundays about a declaration of a new government by the end of the week or beginning of next week. I mean, it's nonsense. This is about trying to get to a situation where you convince everybody else in the pitch that no other outcome can happen. And at that point, uh, you've won the game, even if you haven't actually crossed the the line of of 79. Now, that is what is at play. Whether it's going to work or not will depend on on counteroffers coming forward from from, from Michal Martin. And it's interesting listening to to Michael Healy-Ray there. He clearly needs two players at the table. You know, if, if you're into an auction, you have to have competing bids. And at the moment, uh, the competing bid coming from Fianna Fáil is at least a little shy or at least a little less public, and probably the latter, uh, than the other. So, uh, you know, anybody who thinks that we're at a full and final position on the basis of reading the Sundays, we're just not there. That There are going to be at least three or four twists left in this uh, before we get uh, out the gap. The idea of, uh, just before I bring in uh, Sheila, Mark, the idea of... It is, it is workable though even even with 65 it would take Fianna Fáil and it's, our Labour yeah, certainly it, abstaining on uh, on it, key votes isn't it's, it? it's workable at least in the short term if you can come 
to an agreement on a couple of uh, major issues, most particularly in Irish water, because Sinn Féin will clearly seek to divide um, uh, Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael on the issue, and they will seek to do harm to other smaller parties that they could actually perhaps do damage to themselves uh, at a later point. So there would have to be some overarching agreement on Irish water to at least boot it into a commission or to do something that buys three months or six months. And and if you can do that, then perhaps by the time you get to six months, the reality has changed and people have moved on. Because, you know, if anything, uh, our greatest single saving grace is that we forget. And and perhaps uh, something like that would uh, would get them it's through. Just been full. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, but it, it's it. You know, anybody who's running uh, a government on sixty five, I mean, you know, uh, get ready to be spending uh, late nights in the doll and twelve and one o'clock in the morning. Mm. Yeah, there is a question about how long that yeah. government could actually last. I mean, <coughs> that's, that's the reality of well, it. There's only there's only a couple of votes it can it can fall on in any given year. Yeah, one is I the budget, the other is a, a no, confidence vote. No, no it, it's not I mean, uh, clearly. Uh, uh, those are the issues on which you would have to go to the to the auras. But no government is going to be able to stay sane if it is lose, losing votes all the time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's one no thing where you you, you lose a vote on a, on a clause in a bill and you go back and you haggle and you sort it out. That's fine, but if that just keeps happening day after day after day, it it grinds people down. And well, if you look at at the the, the Callaghan government in Britain in the late seventies, and you look at the period that they had going into uh, at the end, the number of of, uh, of 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 MPs who died, collapsed, got yeah. ill, mm. all of those kind of things start coming into play. Mm. But it's not just politics. If you keep <coughs> losing votes. You're not governing. Exactly. You can't govern. If the vote is lost, then the bill doesn't go through. Uh, and unless there's an arrangement, this can't work either. You know, there has to be some version of a talus strategy or we'll have a very early election because it'll be impossible to govern. It is going to be a really, really difficult three, four years for any government. Yeah. We are not moving into calm waters. Oh. We're mov- and you mentioned the 40% pay rises. We're moving into the most dangerous conditions I have seen in a long time. So, uh, that's why I said earlier, the key question is, if a minority government is formed, what are the terms? And those will be the twists. If there are no terms, then it simply won't work. And are we actually completely ruling out the Fine Gael, Fianna Fáil, you know, coalition alliance or whatever you might want to call it, whatever sort of semantic name you want to put? I know you don't see it happen if you read the papers today, but Mark has a good point there. You know, I mean, we're looking at the horse trading. We're looking at a lot of the PR and the spin in the papers today. um, And we've been told that uh, the Independent has that Micheál Martin has sent a message to Enda that they're not going to do the grand coalition and and et cetera, et cetera. But isn't the reality that the most stable option, the only one that the numbers add up for is Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael and are we not just kind of seeing the dance going on here and is are, so. are, are we going to be sitting here I don't in a couple think of so. weeks time I mean Michael Martin yet? is pretty adamant and Fianna Fáil are pretty adamant they are not going to mm. do a deal with Fine Gael mm. and to be fair to them they said before they the election they would not do so they definitely do have a difficulty. Their biggest issue would be trying to sell it to their own members and I think that would be a major problem for them and I think if it went wrong Micheál Martin would end up on the ropes entirely, you know. I just think we should entirely ro- uh, rule it out completely. But if, you're looking, if you're looking at the numbers here and what we were talking about here today it's hard to see, as Brendan said, it's hard to see how you can actually, you know, keep that sort of government going, you know, with them. With, um, with the independence and then you're relying on Fianna Fáil or, or whatever sort of minority government that you're talking but about. But I, I have to yeah. see a strange paradox here. Let me hear what you think. I think a grand coalition would be worse for the country. 
because Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael will be in that grand coalition with only one purpose, and that is to do down the other side. Mm. And in terms of good government, at least a minority government kind of, you know, because it's vulnerable, you have to decide whether to kind of let it go a bit or not let it mm. go a bit. I just think a grand coalition in these circumstances where everybody, they're both going to be bidding to be the larger party in the in 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 the in the, in the, in the next election, I think would be a very, very bad government. And I'd rather go and vote again than, than see that personally. OK, mm. uh, pause there for a moment, guys. Uh, Mark Hennessy, Brendan Keenan and Sheila Riley are going to stay with us on the Sunday show back in a moment. Welcome back to the Sunday show. Shane Coleman with you until noon today. Now, we're joined uh, in studio by the editor of the Longford Leader, Sheila Riley, uh, journalist Brendan Keenan and uh, Mark Hennessy, news editor of the Irish Times. Um, I was very taken by something you said there before the break, uh, Brendan. I didn't want to interrupt you in your flow, but you said these were uh, the most dangerous of times. And if you look at the Sunday papers today, actually, you'll see plenty of evidence of that. Lots of big kind of claims for big pay rises. Um, Dan O'Brien, who we're going to be talking to later on about the Trump issue and, and how that might affect the global economy, has a really good piece in the Sunday Independent today talking about the dangers of 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 Brexit, uh, of a Trump uh, presidency and of German domination of the EU, uh, industrial unrest as well. Is that is that what you were referring to? Is it a combination of all those things? A combination things? of all those things. I mean, on the domestic front, th- there's no doubt when you look even at the statements and the rest of it, uh, you know, the, who's the, which newspaper was talking about another guard of blue flu. Yeah, that's the main on, on Sunday. Sunday yeah. But the quote is, uh, you know, that... Um, they want the pay cuts restored. And I think this is the root of this. People want to get back to the money they had before the crash. And that's not possible. Because we had a bubble economy, effectively. Because we had a bubble economy. Uh, and uh, But uh, the pressure is going to be on, and the reason the pay claims are so large, I think, is because people are calculating what they'd have to get to get back to where they were when the bubble was blowing. So we're in for a period, and I'm, I've been very struck by a man who chooses his words very carefully, Kieran Mulvey is almost running a one-man campaign, and he's the man who knows more about this than anybody. He's saying, look, if you don't get moving on this now, we're going to be in deep, deep trouble. So that's the domestic trouble. And that is against the background of very tight expenditure controls uh, under EU rules over the next couple of years, uh, plus, uh, you know, the economic uncertainties. And then you add to that uh, Brexit and the rest of it. So um, this is going to be, uh, it's going to be demands. And, you know, we've just been listening to Mr. Healy Ray and the rest of it. There's going to be demands all over the place uh, that are unaffordable, quite simply unaffordable, uh, uh, because we cannot go back uh, to a large scale borrowing. And you see this thing that, oh, yes, you give people money, you know, they'll go out and spend it. That's true if you borrow the money from abroad, it works for a while. But that's not on. You're only transferring the existing money around now. And so the demands can't be met. And and so here we have, we're going to have a period of weak government uh, facing into to very difficult situations. In a way, uh, a Brexit, although I really <laughs> hope it doesn't happen, might at least chase everybody into a dose of reality. Uh, we might uh, People might sit up and say, hey, we got problems here, let's stop fiddling around like but we have been but that would that talk. wouldn't be worth having a Brexit for but it just that, that's the point I was making it's going to be a very very difficult couple of years Isn't it very hard to talk about you know reality say you know for example if you look at the guards there and that piece in the in the mail today points out that the starting salary for 
a guard now is 23,000 23, euro and that's what 10% less than it was uh, a couple of years ago. Like, you know, it's very hard to talk about reality when you when you look at, say, something like that, you know, and how do you get that across to, say, guards who are coming out after doing their training in Templemore and I think it, it it's even less when they're doing the training. They're only getting essentially a stipend and then they come out and they've got these debts and then they're sent to God knows what part of the country where they have to kind of set up, if you like. Um, and, you know, they're in very difficult financial situation for the first couple of years of getting up and it, actually it's it, the piece also points out that if you've got a family you qualify as a new guard you'd qualify for fa- um, for FIS for family income supplement that's how low your wage is essentially you know that's really not acceptable and uh, you can understand why a lot of people would feel it's not acceptable and if you look at say the Lewis workers last week we see them getting what over a 30% hike over a five year period or 18. whatever sorry yeah, 18. 18 sorry um, do, do you know what I mean when you see that kind of a hike coming out how do you explain that to people then who are that, as you say looking at question. and that's the problem yeah. how do you looking it? at these how? hikes and then saying well why can't we get them Okay, um, Mark Hennessy um, Martin Wall in your paper yesterday writing about this mm. and talking about a, the, a sort of I think he, he phrases it, the new industrial norm I think is what he said where mm. you don't go for 5% increases anymore you you put in for 30% or 40% as the, the cancers are looking <coughs> No you don't and and clearly if you are in categories like uh, the Lewis workers or, or uh, Dublin bus drivers or, or train drivers that's exactly what uh, one would do the, the nature of life is that people if they have the whip hand will use it the problem is uh, and uh, where the difference is in say in comparison to the last uh, round of industrial uh, unrest that we had in the 70s and 80s is that unions take up a far smaller uh, part of the economy than ever before and the only people who can do these kind of things now are people in certain key public sector jobs Uh, the rest of us can go on strike and everybody can walk around us Okay. And and that is going to create divisions within society at large, no matter how justified um, a, a guard, a young guard on 23 grand a year is in terms of his or her demand for a substantial increase. Uh, the fact is that that is going to have a kickback in wider society, particularly in transport. Uh, when uh, people are going to find that they're not able to get to work. Although, can I just say, I think if the councillors went on strike, if they didn't get their 40% pay <laughs> hike, I don't think a lot of people would notice. They wouldn't get a lot of sympathy. Um, Mark, I, I'm curious, because you, you spent um, six years I- in Britain working uh, for the Irish Times. One of the issues Dan O'Brien mentions as well, obviously, is Brexit. Mm. What's your take on it? Is it just too close to call at this stage? Well, I'd make a couple of points. One... It is the biggest foreign policy challenge that we've faced in 40 years. And I don't think uh, people have actually woken up to the significance and of what it would mean if the British were to depart. Uh, we've hidden behind London uh, countless times in uh, at the Brussels table over the decades. We've done it with the French in agriculture. We've done it with the British uh, on a whole variety of other things. And if uh, the, the British leave, then culturally and, and, and psychologically, the union will change over time to a more continental, more status, more protectionist model. And that isn't where we currently are and have been for the last 30 or 40 years. So we most cert- there may be very good reasons uh, for, for the British to depart the European Union in some ways, but there are no reasons where it is a good idea for the Irish mm-hmm. if they depart on, uh, unless we go with them. And even then, um, you can uh, it's hard to see how uh, there would be a plus point for it. Bar the short-term uh, ability to be able to argue in Silicon Valley and elsewhere that we're the only uh, native English-speaking uh, place left in the European Union. But you can assume that the IDA has already been uh, talking to people about that uh, o- over the last while. Uh, in terms of where the debate is, uh, uh, Cameron never wanted this uh, 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 
referendum. The only reason we've had it is because of a series of weak tactical moves on his part where he's never been prepared to hold the line against and it goes back to the days when he took uh, the Conservative out of the European People's Party and had no lines of communication. He's now belatedly learnt uh, the art of diplomacy and the need to actually talk to some of his fellows uh, around the table at the European Commission level and has built up some relationships which is why the deal was better than perhaps it might have been but it's not a fundamental transformation in uh, yeah. the UK's mm. relationship with Brussels and trying to sell that into uh, a, 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 a disgruntled uh, British public is always going to be difficult and from our point of view uh, I mean one of the things that always struck me the mistake we make is that we think we know them because we watch their telly and we support their football clubs we don't uh, and the mistake they make is they very rarely uh, think about us uh, and as a result uh, you do have um, uh, this kind of gulf but, but the Irish do have a voice in this uh, there are 300,000 people living here some British uh, some Irish who, who worked in Britain for years who will have voting rights there are 660,000 passport holders in Britain forget about Northern Ireland uh, and there is another million plus who to a greater or lesser extent see some element of their heritage being Irish and their identity being Irish uh, there are are going to be ways in which people here can influence people in Britain um, uh, in terms of the kind of voting intentions. It may be at the, the, the margins, and I'm not trying to, for a moment, to uh, exaggerate that. Um, but if you look at the gulf that's taking place, uh, Scotland will vote yes. Uh, it's not as Europhile as the SNP would have you believe, but it is uh, more Europhile than, than most. Uh, the, the Welsh are somewhat confused um, by the situation, but would seem to be likely to, to by a majority, vote yes. Northern Ireland is in a bizarre situation where the people will vote yes, but the, the le political mm. leadership in the form of the, the Democratic Unionists uh, go the other way. Um, and if you look at a line... Presume, presumably <coughs> for instinctive reasons that they go with the Union rather than the European Union. Yeah, but in terms of, of Northern Ireland's own economic interests, it's very much tied to continuing European Union membership but in terms of agriculture and all of the other things that are important. Is there yeah. a situation where it could actually right. preempt the the breakup of the union itself if you like? I mean I and, and the, the whole thing the yeah. whole thing falls that's back to Cameron yeah. and Cameron's weakness. Isn't uh, that when we look back on Cameron in years yeah. to come and I think this is the guy who not only you know he broke up the union as well as uh, took uh, Britain out of the EU. It would yeah. be almost inevitable. Yeah, Cameron uh, is doing an interview with the uh, the Independent on Sunday. Today. I think it's it's the last, it's the final edition of Independent on Sunday. He concedes the result is now on a knife edge. Um, Brendan Keenan, as as a, as a, as a Belfast-born uh, man, actually one of the interesting Dan, Dan O'Brien says he says this idea that you know a deal will be worked out between Britain and Ireland if if Britain leaves. He's saying that's absolute nonsense. He's one of the one of the founding tenets of the uh, of the EU is if you're a member, you can't just cut a deal with other countries. That just will not happen. Yeah, I mean, I think it's maybe gone a bit far to say it's complete nonsense, but it, it's very going to be very difficult uh, and not guaranteed. Um, all of this, if they leave, is going to be very difficult. And you've probably seen things that it would take 10 years just to unravel uh, the existing arrangements, never mind putting in, in new ones. And, of course, it isn't just between us. I mean, a lot on that one, if we're talking about a border back on the islands, a lot would depend on the rest of Europe's attitude to its borders. Uh, this would now be an external border. Now, before the refugee crisis, that wouldn't really have mattered. There'd be absolutely no need for border controls with the refugee crisis, because if Britain leaves, uh, the new prime minister, the first thing he's going to have to say is that, right, you know, we're going to have different border controls, from tougher border controls than the rest of Europe. So it's certainly a possibility, a real possibility uh, that um, it would 
there would could be border controls and it would be difficult uh, to, to, to avoid them. But um, Interesting you say the new Prime Minister Cameron can't survive if they No, he can't survive. Yeah, and okay. unfortunately, I think, you know, what has happened in the Conservative Party now as well is a leadership race as well as the split mm-hmm. over Europe. That's what made Boris Johnson turn his coat. And uh, Duncan Smith probably doesn't expect to, to become leader, but he expects to be in, you know, in, in there in the top. So as Sheila said, I mean, David Cameron is the most extraordinarily reckless man. He's done this twice. I mean, know what Oscar Wilde said about doing things twice, <laughs> Scotland and Europe. Just before we, we move on to other issues, Mark, you, you wanted to make a point in relation to if Britain was to leave yeah. and, and the impact that would have on, on the island of Ireland. Well, yeah, and it's worth the point that's worth making to unionists who might have thoughts on this subject. Um, Im- imagine the scene that, that they, uh, the British have gone and then there is an issue about the land border uh, between the Republic and Northern Ireland. It was impossible to manage in the days when the British could put thousands of troops on it. Mm. Uh, what are they going to do? Bring them back? No. Uh, so there's no way of managing that on any sort of coherent basis. Uh, there is a historical precedent because in 1939 there were travel restrictions put in place between the island of Ireland and Britain. During the emergency. What we call the emergency. Um, But what uh, is important is that those restrictions extended into 1953. And if you look at Hansard, you will find numerous uh, references by by unionists at the time uh, complaining about the fact that Northern Ireland was being treated as second-class citizens uh, within the United Kingdom. It is uh, an interesting uh, model that people may draw. Be careful what you wish for. Be careful what you wish for. And and just one other point. Uh, Last year, the year before, the the, the government uh, here agreed. Uh, Francis Fitzgerald and Theresa May had an event in the Irish Embassy in London where they announced a new visa deal for Indian and uh, Chinese tourists. And it was going to be a common visa and it would bring 45,000 extra tourists in from wealthy uh, countries. Obviously made uh, clear sense. But there is a key element to that, which is necessary to make it work which is that there is a common immigration system and if you turn up at Cork airport and you're on MI5's red flag you're going to be flagged in Cork or in Dublin or elsewhere so we already have a system whereby and we and the Irish government had to agree to that because there was no way uh, as his, history has taught us that the United Kingdom was going to leave Ireland as being the weak back door Okay, uh, interesting, very interesting stuff. <coughs> um, I just want to, we've got a couple of minutes left. Um, Sheila, I want to talk about that um, interview the Sunday mm-hmm. Business Post had with Rick Larkin, the, the developer who's behind the Tourist yes. Town project. A week ago, obviously, this became a big story. Um, uh, these notices to, to quit that were served on, on people there. W- what do you make of the interview? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, obviously, uh, in the meantime, uh, Rick Larkin uh, talked to Joe on Live Line uh, during the week, and uh, needless to say, that provoked a furious reaction as well so this interview I think is uh, is maybe the bit of the backpedalling and uh, trying to reclaim some of the ground for them I mean the heading on it is I would be an idiot if I didn't regret how it was handled that's a quote of his obviously so um, what you have is kind of him uh, setting out his stall and I noted as well I mean like I just thought it was interesting you know in it he, he says that there should be a proper tenure uh, system in Ireland um, and if there was then people who get into the residential res- rental business would know exactly what they're getting 
getting into, you know. <laughs> I thought that was an interesting statement in it. Um, now, the, the bottom line is in the interview, you know, they're going to do what they're going to do. But he says, you know, he highlights the fact that that it's vacant procession, you know, and that um, they're not going, he says, they're not going to put anybody out on the street, no ifs, no buts. But I think he does have a swipe at uh, Ruth Coppinger, etc., saying that uh, it's not going to be a case where people can stay in the houses forever and uh, and a day and that um, if they hold out long enough, uh, things will go their way. Okay. Brendan, I mean, is, is, are, are they a bit unfortunate in terms of how they, their, their response, and it's an understandable response from people, but are they a little bit unfortunate or, or is it a bit unfair some of the treatment they've got? Well, I mean, reading the letters they sent out first, they deserve all they're getting, you yeah. know, but that's not the issue. That's how they handled it. And um, the issue is uh, is a serious one. And as Sheila has just quoted there, uh, it's it's the absence of any proper legislative framework for rented accommodation in this country. Now, it's a very difficult area, very, very difficult. There's been disasters all around the world over rent controls and tenures and all the rest of it. But uh, since we have nothing here worth talking about, we could study best practice around the world. And where, uh, where would you recommend looking? Well, no, I haven't, I haven't gone into it and I'm not an expert, but I can say that for 20 years I've been listening to this kind of talk and dialogue and governments, but nothing, nothing gets done. Uh, and um, it is true that if, I mean, these were one-year leases, I mean, Rick Larkin, in, in, in a sense, has a point that what does a one-year lease mean? It means you're only guaranteed to stay there for one year, uh, nor, uh, you know, a permanent, you know, 999-year lease that a commercial operation can get, you know, is not relevant. But there is, the, the, it's simply, uh, it's simply a, essentially a, a free-for-all, and uh, that's been hasn't been an issue because so few of us uh, were tenants uh, yeah. historically. Now it's not only a big issue, it's going to get to be a bigger one even when the present shortage is, is solved. Uh, Mark Hensley, last word to you, just uh, briefly if you can. Um, the editorial in the Business Post uh, says today, Germany would not let a Tyrolstown happen, and it quotes Article 14 of the German Constitution, which basically says property entails obligation. It is, but I mean, you're going to have to get to a situation where you have a far larger pool of rental properties available that are state-owned. Um, I mean, if the world of landlords was so easy at the moment, then why are so many landlords uh, getting out of it? We have a situation at the moment whereby the legislation uh, that's in place doesn't properly protect tenants and it doesn't properly protect landlords from poor tenants. OK, all right, we'll leave it there. Uh, my thanks to Mark Hennessy, news editor with the Irish Times, journalist Deborah Brennan Keenan and Sheila Riley, editor of The Longford Leader.